1: Welcome to the Inheritance Cycle page-by-page podcast, where we'll be reading through all four books in the Inheritance Cycle series, chapter-by-chapter, page-by-page. We'll also offer our own insights, theories, and first impressions of the wonderful world of Alagasia. May good fortune rule over you, may the stars watch over you, and may peace live in your heart.
0: Hello and welcome to the Inheritance Cycle page by page podcast where we talk about the Inheritance Cycle or Aragon books. I am one of your hosts, Austin, also known as Teacup.
1: And my name is Shelby and you might also know me as She Cup.
0: And before we get started, I want to remind you to please like and review us on Apple or Spotify. If you leave us five stars and some kind words in a review on Apple or in a comment on Spotify, we will read it out on a future episode of the show. Also, you can join our Discord and hang out with us there, and to join us there on the internet, you can find that link in the episode description. And so today, we are talking about the chapter, Ajahad. And so we enter with the... Pa- with, And so we enter into the chapter, we finally meet Ajahad. Uh, and basically, we kind of learn, there he is in his like office study. Uh, we also see him with a man that looks exactly like the bald twin they're twins we meet twins uh he kind of interrogates Murtag he has to see the scar on murtag's back left by Morzan and basically gets really mad at the twins for not knowing that they had a son of Morzan uh he basically commands that Murtag lets them into the mine, but Murtag refuses and he basically is sent away with the twins, and then Ajahad addresses Aragorn directly about Arya and asks for the whole story of Aragorn's journey. Filling in the blank- blanks from Brahm's communication, he reveals that the Shade's name is Derza, and that the only way to kill him is to shoot him through the heart, or stab him through the heart, and that he likely is still alive. Hearing that the king has allied with the Urgles convinces Ajahad that he is truly insane now. When Brahm brought the egg to the Varden, we learn, they decided to take it to the elves to find its rightful owner. But while Arya was transporting it between the humans and the elves, uh, it was lost to where Aragorn found it. Ajahad also reveals that the elves reside in the forest of Duelden Varden. And they were angry and cut off contact to Ajahad after Arya disappears. He ponders that they might be appeased with Aragorn's rescue of her. He also mentions that Aragorn will be tested for his abilities. Aragorn continues to ask his own questions. The ceasing questions, the unceasing questions never stop. he wonders if his powers will be used by the Varden and Ajahad kind of like gets mad at him about that and says like, you know, if you were anyone else, I could kill you for such insolence, but that he is a dragon rider and will be expected to perform in that role. He hands Aragorn's Brahms ring, but refuses to free Mertag because he was insolent and insubordinate. He cannot free Murtag and he assigns Auric to task of guiding Aragorn and Sephira during their stay in Tronji, And that's the chapter. So what, lot happening? What stood out?
1: Um, well, I was just really mind blown, like throughout this whole chapter, there's so much that happens. There's so much of a lore drop. Um, I feel like the whole book has been leading up to this point and just like so much. So I really just was mind blown. Um, But I really liked Ajihad. I want more from him. I hope that he continues to be like a main character going forward. Um, I was confused. I will just start off by my confusion, and maybe you can help me. So the twins, it said that they don't have names. And first of all, Safira like very much dislikes this and hisses in reaction. But I thought that the guy that was mean to Aragon was named Egraz, so I thought he had a name.
0: I believe because I went back and looked at this. I believe. It is a dwarven term that er- that Auric uses for him. That probably means something that is not translated to us.
1: So that wouldn't be his real name. No. Weird. So why don't they have names? Like, do we have a reason for that?
0: Nope.
1: Well, I'm with Safira. I don't like it. It feels very dehumanizing. Yeah. Uh, but moving on a little bit, so I really had a lot of respect for Murtag in this chapter because once again he refuses the the mind probe, even to like the leader of this group, um, even to the consequence of being imprisoned for the entire duration of time that Aragon and Sephira are here. And I respect not only that he sticks to his principles, but I respect that he has the clarity of mind to say like my mind and my is my inner sanctuary. And that's the only thing I've never had taken from me or or used by another person. And so that's my thing. And I won't let anyone take that away from me. And so I really respected it, respected that about about Murtag in this chapter.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Murtagh, if nothing, some could say stubborn, and in a lot of ways he is, but he's just a man of principle and conviction.
1: Some would also say I'm stubborn, so like recognizes like.
0: It's true, but Aragon is also stubborn.
1: That's also very true. That is true. I do think Murtag is more stubborn than Aragon, though. However, yeah. Saphira might be more stubborn than both of them put together.
0: It's probably true. It's probably true.
1: But we do learn a lot about the Varden in this chapter, and we learn that, like, they are not really the leader of this place. Really, the Dwarven King is like the person that is the high ruler of this area and that the Varden are permitted to stay there um basically at his allowance and so um ajihad is basically saying like I can't let you just do whatever you want I can't make all these decisions without considering what the dwarves want and considering how what we do would impact or upset or piss them off too. So I didn't really didn't expect that. I th- I thought they would have kind of their own thing and they would be more independent than what it seems like they are.
0: Yeah, that's totally true. I'm reminded very much of, of the kind of like the way the rebellion in Star Wars kind of starts in mm-hmm. that like they're dependent upon like the generosity and the support of these people that are in the Empire or in the Imperial Senate, and it's very similar about, like, you know, the Varden in and of itself needs support from these other races, and they're just staying here as, like, a guest. But the dwarves could, if they wanted to, kick them out. And we'll learn more. We're kind of getting a quick glimpse into dwarven politics into this universe, and I'll let you know that it's pretty robust in the way the Dwarven, Dwarven politics work. Even more so than I would say probably Dragon Age, which is probably one of the more like robust systems of the Dwarven society in current media, at least.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I do love the Dwarves just generally across all media. So I'm pretty excited to hear that. But let's move on a little bit. Um I do... Want it to want to note for the record that you know Ajihad basically asks Aragon like tell me everything like you you've got to start at the beginning, and Aragon is is telling him his story and it it takes him hours of time to tell everything that's happened to them so far and there's only one real thing that he keeps from Ajihad which is the the prophecy with Angela, um, everything else he shares. And <clears throat> so Ajihad, I think in this conversation is doing two things that I find very interesting. The first thing, and this is very basic. Like he is, is very much plotting and prepping and planning for how they're going to take on these Urgles, how they're going to take on the empire now that the empire has aligned themselves with the Urgles. so that's the first thing but the second thing that i think is really interesting is that in these conversations he's very much setting up aragon as brahms successor to the varden
0: Mm -hmm. which is interesting because i can't remember if we figure out in this story in this time or not but brahm has a very special relationship to the varden
1: i don't know what that means
0: um i can't remember if it gets covered or not but brahm is a very important person to the varden historically
1: yeah i don't think i don't know what you're talking about so i don't think we've Um, gotten there yet
0: well then we're not gonna share that because that can be revealed later but yeah um yeah uh, this just brings up a good point of one of this point of like how much like people don't know about dragons and riders like how much of their lore has been lost because I always stood out to like Aragon saying something and like basically like I could take down this whole place and Ajahad is basically like you wouldn't get past the twins and Aragon's like they must be stronger than they let on because a dragon makes a rider even stronger brahm was always weaker than me because of that and Asha'had's like brahm was our strongest
1: Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely like he he was taken aback when aragon said that it felt like Mm -hmm. but this um kind of leads me into my next thought which was about Galbatorix and the ergols and everything like that um and I just wanted to read a quote from Ajahad because I found it interesting. This is on page 450. And so um, he says, if Galpatorix is gathering an Urgal army to destroy us, the Varden will be hard pressed to survive, even though many of us are protected here in dirt that a rider, one as evil as Galbatorix, would consider a pact with such monsters is indeed proof of madness. I shudder to think of what he promised them in return for their fickle loyalty. Hmm. I feel like that is a little bit of foreshadowing for the rest of the story.
0: Yeah. Um, it'll be interesting, kind of like how you view it the Urgles because I know that like there's a big like comparison to the Qunari in Dragon Age of how these things work but it's just gonna right now there's not a big like other than their description there's not a big comparison to them at all
1: not really no not really I mean the the Urgles, they're very much painted as if they are barbarians. And I know the Kunari have been, too, a little bit in Dragon Age. But, like, they're really not. So, I am reserving judgment right now. Um, so, we'll see. Mm-hmm. But this also kind of leads me again into my next point, which is about the shade. And like you said, we learn his name. We learn he's not dead, which was my prediction. I'm right again. And... Um, Ajihad is has already tried to kill this shade once and failed. So, Aragon, he's at least in good company in this one. Mm
0: -hmm. Well, like, and this makes sense earlier. This Lord drop that we got about like Aragon saying he only knew of two people in history who had killed a shade and survived. Mm-hmm. And so this explains why, like you can, you have to kill a shade by piercing its heart
1: through a very specific method. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, um, let's talk about some of the dwarven lore that dropped in this chapter because there was like a lot of dwarven and elven lore. But mm-hmm. the first thing that I'm I'm really interested in is that dwarves are not only opposed to new riders at all entirely. They're also kind of opposed to dragons in general. Um, they're opposed to new riders because nobody, none of the dwarves have ever been a rider because most of them have been elven, etc. cetera. But also they're opposed to dragons because dragons used to like steal their gold and <laughs> ravage their settlements and all that. So it's really interesting to me, like I know there's the fantasy trope, like dwarves have long memories, they remember things, they tend to have longer lives. So there's that kind of history of remembering the past and everything that's happened and all the offenses. But I don't feel like dragons ruining your settlement is equitable to... Not supporting the one force that can end this war for us. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, I definitely know what you mean. And there will be more that kind of comes out later in the book, in the later books about the dwarves and their relationships to writers and everything. But both the elves and the dwarves in this, and this is something to keep about, are very, very cautious because they have lost things against Galbatorix. But they actually haven't had to risk it all yet. Like the dwarf city of Trondheim and their other major cities are still well secured and well hidden. The elves are secured in New Weldon Varden. And right now, like Galvatorix is a far off threat. Whereas most of the Varden, who are primarily humans, Galvatorx is a very, very real and present threat to them.
1: Yeah, and that makes, I think that makes perfect, perfect sense. But it also makes sense when you realize from the elven perspective, which this is something else that happened in this chapter, from the elven perspective, a majority, most of the writers have been elven before. And only a few have been human. And well, when we decided to start letting the humans become riders, Galbatorix happened. We should revoke that right entirely. That's kind of their perspective. And honestly, like, I get that. I understand that urge to kind of go to that opposite extreme.
0: Yeah, I definitely get it. And there are probably a lot of else. I mean, we see this trope in Lord of the Rings, too. You know, Elrond the famous thing that is one of my favorite gifts to send everywhere, which is like men, men are weak. And. You know, it's just like that kind of ideology, like you have caused us these problems. Why are you worthy of any more chances? Right. Right. And like of the sentient races in, in Allegasia, like dragons are the only ones who don't really get a voice in this situation. Because there's only one, two that we know of right now, Shruken and Sephira.
1: Right, exactly. But back to the Dwarven lore for a little bit, because there's more stuff that dropped in this chapter. But we learned that, like I said earlier, they're not fully part of the Varden. In fact, the Varden are beholden to them and that they... um are really only loyal to their clan chiefs and the King and that there are 13 Dwarven clans and each of the clan chiefs has a lot of power on their hands. Um, And so, like I said again earlier, a lot of the chiefs are not fans of the Varden. So the King is kind of limited in what he can do. Um, And so we learn all about all that, about the Dwarven kingdom and then we also get a huge elven lore drop, which I know you've already talked about do Weldon Varden, where their cities are and everything like that. But we also learn that when Arya disappeared, the elves stopped supporting the Varden, which makes the Varden in a more desperate place than they would be would be otherwise. We also learn that they don't know about Aragon and Sephira because they stopped supporting the Varden when Arya got lost. We also learn that the elves didn't even want the Varden to have the egg in the first place because they didn't want it to go to a human. Again, because of Galbatorix's instability. And of course, this is where everyone's favorite character, Braum, comes into place. And he's the one that comes up with this compromise of sending the egg back and forth between a couple different locations.
0: Right, right, 100%. And it's a really great point of like bringing up Braum in this because this is kind of a glimpse in the lore of like what the role of a writer is. Because even though Braum doesn't have his dragon he still has his training and he's still that bridge between the two worlds he is human but he's also a writer so he was trained by the writers and the elves i mean variel the leader of the writers was an elf like there were lots of elves that trained these humans and how to be writers and so he comes up with this compromise and i think it's such an interesting compromise to me because like We get the point like because this is very comparable to Star Wars in this sense of like Aragorn starts his training with Braum and then that training ends and he has to go to this some wiser, more powerful master to get complete his training just as Luke needs to go to Yoda to complete his training. But we're never really explained in Star Wars like why that is like why Obi-Wan couldn't train Luke all the way up to knighthood Mm because he would be capable but with this, it's Brahm saying like, okay, I'll handle like the introductory stuff. Like, and because depending on who there is, I'll spend there so we can have some understanding and whoever the new writer is can at least understand things from a human perspective. But then the majority of the training will go to the L, um, which I think is interesting because like it's Brahm being clever because he's giving some kind of influence but he's giving the elves the illusion of like the majority of the control.
1: True, but do you think that that is too big of a risk and not necessarily for the elves to have that illusion, but the risk to me is that you're moving this egg from place to place and it could get lost or it could get stolen or what happens in the story is exactly what the risk is. I
0: think that's true. I mean, at this point you have to weigh the risk on the other end, your risks are driving a wedge between the Varden and the elves, which Braum knows and probably the leadership of the Varden know that they need the elves. They're not going to be able to resist the empire without them.
1: Right. But again, there's already a wedge between the dwarf or between the elves and the Varden now. So would it really have made that big of a difference in the end? To protect I the mean, egg, it, and I—I I mean, we can we can kind of debate this all evening, but what happens is that Aragon ends up with the egg, and that's kind of what's supposed to happen.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I think at this point, like, just to understand elves, like, elves and dragons are intrinsically linked to one another because of the formation of the Riders, and so. If they had decided to, like, even if the Varden had said, like, we've recovered this egg, we're going to say keep it, we're going to hold it, like, that's what's going to be happen. Odds are the elves would actually wage war on the Varden to go get the egg back.
1: That's probably so true. In a,
0: yeah, so odds are Brahm is also trying to defuse a conflict between the two groups.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And that's fair. Is there anything else before we move on that you wanted to say about, like, the compromise or anything like that?
0: No, I don't think we've kind of talked that. Okay. We beat that forced to death.
1: All right, all right. So the next thing that I wanted to bring up is this whole issue with Galbatorix and his power and this army that he's creating because... It, they talk about that his power is increasing, but nobody knows how. Nobody knows why. Like, he doesn't have more dragons. He doesn't have more riders. How is he getting more power? And then not only that, but, you know, that he's basically amassing an Urgal army and that he's created his own language to communicate with others. And he's, like, written this language to communicate with the Urgals. And they have this name for him, which is um Ushnark. Which basically means like the great master or or something like that. And he's renamed all these cities in this language and all of this stuff is happening. And it feels very catastrophic.
0: Yeah, I think it's just interesting that Galvatorix is very much like he does do this. Like he renames a bunch of stuff like these cities and we'll learn that these aren't the only things that he's renamed. We'll learn later that he's renamed other things. And it's just a point of like, he's saying like, this is my empire. Now the way the old way of being, it is done. This is my empire.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, um, just to move on a little bit, you know, at the end of this chapter, Ajihad is basically like lecturing Aragon about his role in all of this after Aragon has basically insulted the man and proved he's learned absolutely nothing about tact and diplomacy and all of that. Ajihad says this. Oh, and this is on page 60, by the way. The burden of leadership is being responsible for the well-being of the people in your charge. I have dealt with it from the day I was chosen to head the Varden. And now you must as well. Be careful. I won't tolerate injustice under my command. Don't worry about your youth and inexperience. They will pass soon enough. And I really liked this speech. And this speech is really what convinced me. One of the things that convinced me that I really liked Ajihad because it's such truth. And it's not just true for Aragon. Like it's true for us too um, in our world. But Aragon desperately needs someone other than safira who will speak truth to him in a mentor way, in a wise way, in a way that is not antagonistic or inflammatory or anything like that. Because Murtag will speak truth to him. But Murtag is his peer. The way that Murtag talks to Aragon is always going to be like, antagonistic in a way, but Ajihad is the first person outside of Sephira other than Brahm that we've seen really have that kind of mentoring. Mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you the truth. It's not going to be pleasant, but I'm going to tell it to you because you need to hear it kind of relationship with him.
0: Right. A hundred percent. It's a really good point of like, and you kind of see that in Aragon's demeanor a little bit like after he has his little insolent like outburst about like you're not going to control me basically and Aja Hobbs, like oh my sweet summer child you know nothing yeah. um, and he but he just says that and like even Aragon's like thing just says oh like I haven't been around someone who is wiser than me to really say something to me in a mm-hmm. long time and he kind of shrinks back there and just says, like, I'm not going to tolerate injustice. And I will, if you try to wield too much power, I will call you down as well.
1: hmm. Exactly. And then kind of the last things that really happen in this chapter is that Ajihad gives Brahm's ring to Aragon. Sephira says, I'm impressed by them. I like them and I want you to tell them that. And then Ajihad demotes auric but also kind of promotes him at the same time and makes him guide to Aragon and Sephira.
0: I can't remember if it's this chapter or the next chapter, but does Auric explain Ajihad's motivations to him in this path?
1: It's in the next so, one, I think.
0: It's in the next one. Okay, then we'll talk about it then. Because I think it's interesting because it's more Dwarven politics.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So that's this chapter. All right.
0: Well, what are your predictions?
1: Um, well, I think that a couple things. First of all, like I said, at the beginning of this episode, just mind blown, mind blown completely and totally. But as far as actual real predictions, I know the last time my mind was blown, which was, I think, in The the Horns of a Dilemma, I was like, I just, I don't have any predictions. I'm too overwhelmed. This time I do. I have two. So, but the first one is that I really feel like Aragon's going to get into a fight with a dwarf sooner rather than later, either physical or verbal. I don't know, but I just feel like conflict is coming because... Diplomacy is not Aragon's strong suit. He's kind of an idiot with words like it just it's going to be bad. And then my second one, which is more of a lore kind of thing, is I just really feel like the way that Brahms ring has played a role in this chapter, like it, it was just treated so significantly. I feel like it's going to have a, a major role to play. Also, in the arc of the story, and it might also like have some kind of magical power or whatever imbued in it.
0: These are very uh, astute predictions, and I don't <laughs> want to give anything away, so I don't have a response to them. Okay,
1: that's fine.
0: Um, but I do think you're probably well, I would guess I would know, but good prediction on Aragon getting in a fight with the dwarf because, like, when you take a race that is extremely proud and holds grudges. And someone who literally spouts insolence almost with every breath,
1: Mm
0: -hmm. it's not a good recipe.
1: And, like, he doesn't even know that he's doing it. That's the worst thing. Like, with Murtag, Murtag knows he's being an ass. And he, like, relishes that. He's like, yes, I want to be a jerk. Like, I want to be sassy. Like, I am mad. I'm emo boy. Aragon is like, I'm just a nice little guy. I'm just a farm boy. And is so disrespectful the whole time and has no idea.
0: Well, I want to go back, and maybe you'll have to go back to your notes on this chapter But I want to go back to Garrow's blessing and advice to Aragon because he says things about like respecting people but not holding anyone above you. But but I have the quote. This is important to remember and like Aragon's behavior to other people. And I think these words do hang on him whether he reflects on them or not. But Garrow says, consider none your superior, whatever their rank or station in life. Treat all fairly and they will or they will seek revenge. Be careful with your money. Hold fast to your beliefs and others will listen.
1: But also at the same time, rule number four is judge with logic and reason, but don't comment on it, which he does none of those things. He comments on everything and has no logic nor reason.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Right. Respect for those in power, but don't follow them blindly. Yeah. Um, and I think that's kind of Aragorn's thing of like, I'm not going to bow and bend just because you're the leader of the Varden or you're king of the dwarves or you're whatever, you know?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely.
0: But anyway, we can't talked about that enough. But this is a big chapter. So it was. I think it's time to wrap it up, I guess.
1: That is your responsibility.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, thank you for listening to the Inheritance Cycle page by page podcast. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Inheritance Cycle page by page podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Inheritance page or email us at InheritancePage at gmail.com. Make sure you join us on Discord in the Cups Podcasting and more. All links are in the episode description. May good fortune rule over you. May the stars watch over you and may peace live in your heart.